And we're live. Welcome to Don't Be Coy. I'm your host, Uncle Lou. And today I have the honor, pleasure, and the utmost appreciation to have with me today, Elliot Libling. Elliot, thank you for being on the show, sir. How are you doing this afternoon? Doing great. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Oh, sounds good. How's your week been going, man? Busy as always, but uh, nice and sunny outside today, so I'm trying to make the most of that. <laughs> I totally understand. So, um, for the people at home, man, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Um, so I currently live in Jersey City, New Jersey, born and raised in New Jersey. I spent some time up in New England, which is how we met, as you'll recall. Did my undergrad and a master's in public health up at Brown University, um, and then came back down here to continue my career. Yeah, no, that sounds good, man. You know, I I really appreciate you like saying that in such a brief fashion, but it's like I think that that just goes to highlight what I'm about to say as far as you're just one of the most grounded and consistent individuals that I know. Like you're you're very humble in like your approaches to things because it's like, yeah, I went to Brown and, you know, got my MPH and just came back home and just been chilling. But, you know, that's not that's not how it worked out, man. You know, you you're definitely a very goal oriented and driven person. Like, you know, you completed your mph in like uh five years and typically it's like a, a two-year program so it's like you spent some of your undergrad years taking those graduate level courses and so it's just like you took that rigorous activity and then excelled in that and then now you know you're still in your like mid late 20s and you're a director over a research firm and stuff and you're successfully publishing data and things of that nature so it's just like, <laughs> I think it's funny how you just you just say it so passively, but no, man, you're definitely doing the dang thing. Well, thank you for going a little bit more in depth. It's a very gracious <laughs> introduction, but uh, <laughs> that's exactly right. And I've always had this passion for public health and for New Jersey in particular, which has always drawn me back here. My family still lives here. Um but, uh, yeah, you know, going into school at Brown, I didn't really have the language to express or understand what I was interested in. You know, a lot of us just default to, okay, I want to help people. I'm interested in healthcare more broadly. I'm going to be a doctor. And then, you know, discovering through my time at Brown what that meant in terms of public health and community health and being able to, like you're saying, uh, wrap a master's into that was uh, yeah, really amazing opportunity for me. Yeah. One of the things that I, I really want to like touch on today is just like um, how you've been so good at balancing life while working towards your goals. Like, like I mentioned beforehand, you're one of the most grounded individuals I know. And like you just said, you wanted to help people and being from New Jersey. So it's like your family still being here. Like what's your, your secret for having such a successful integrated life? Like, how did you get to this point to where you say like, yeah, this is what I want to do and this is just how you get it? Yeah, it's such a good question. I, the sad part is that I feel like there probably is no secret, right? You want to be able to, to say, oh, this is the one key to work-life balance, but it takes a lot of hard work. It takes being intentional every step of the way. So, you know, for example, I am super lucky to have found a 
career that I'm passionate about and be surrounded by people who support me, like my girlfriend, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk more about, and people like you. But uh, really, it just requires a lot of decision-making along the way, right? What's a priority to me and what's not? Like I mentioned, I'm passionate about bringing healthcare to people who are traditionally underserved by our systems and making sure that people's social determinants of health are not meaning that they're spending less time on this earth. So when I'm you know, working long days or putting in hard work to you know, get a degree, it feels a lot less like work, which certainly helps. But uh, beyond that, right, yeah, there are certainly sacrifices that we all have to make, whether it's you know, prioritizing work over family or family over work, but uh, it's certainly never easy. So it's, yeah, I'm excited to talk a lot more about it. Yeah, man. No, for sure. I think like there, there is a growth in like the balancing, right? And like in order to get to that point, you have to, as you mentioned, make uh, make those sacrifices. But first, you have to identify like what are the priorities for you, and like what is it that you want to truly focus on. So, like, in if you can reflect a little bit on like that first moment when you had to make that decision on a sacrifice, like what was that like for you? And like, how did you um, get through that? Yeah. I, so I think I, when I think through all of this, I have to acknowledge that come from a place of certainly privilege in terms of my family background and economic background and also the opportunities that I've been afforded, whether that's going to Brown and having access to amazing professors and classmates or whatever else. So, Decisions that may be uh, higher stakes for someone else or potentially lower stakes for me, right? I can commit to five years in school and uh, prioritize that and not have to uh, worry about supporting my family back home. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's potentially easier for me than it is for others is the first piece that I want to acknowledge. But uh, I also think that it's a time in my life, and you mentioned this, I just turned 28 last week <laughs> but it's a, a time in my life where i feel like i can sort of grind right I, a lot of my coworkers are a little bit older they have uh family kids whatever it might be and i'm not quite there yet so i can you know, prioritize work in a way that others might not want to or be able to uh, so i do set some boundaries right there are certain non-negotiables that I have in terms of work-life balance. I have a dog that I love to spend time with, and uh, <laughs> I'm walking her every morning. And that's a non-negotiable. But uh, you know, I'm available at hours into the evening that a lot of other people might not be, and uh, it's a decision that I made that works for me. But I actually respect everyone else who's made the opposite decision a lot more. Uh, it takes you know so much courage to be able to say that I'm interested in the work, but it's it's not my life and some of us do make it our, our lives mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think that that's an important distinction too man like um realizing that you know you dedicate so much of your life towards getting to this particular goal right like regardless if you're like an athlete or like um a professional in corporate world or just like even an artist like you give so much of your time to getting to learning the skills, learning the the systems, learning the trade. And then once you get to the point where you're actually a practitioner and doing the work, 
it's hard to separate like you know how you can not necessarily i remember a phrase you used to say like you work out to eat not necessarily eat to work out or whatever it was and um it's kind of like that same type of principle it's like you're working to to live and provide sustenance for your life but at the same time there's more about you that makes you who you are and um recognizing like who that is and recognizing all of those particular um facets that make you the individual you are but then also um setting the boundaries around what those realize so i think there's a lot of complex systems that go into there right and understanding all of those different facets while also working towards that goal right you're not just doing these things as a way to just get by you you have a, a why that you're focused towards yeah that's exactly right one of the things that my dad told me early on that really stuck with me is that some people work to live other people live to work right and i think we all to some extent work yeah. to live right we need a paycheck to uh, to survive and i'd love to be in a spot where that's not the case but uh <laughs> i'm fortunate to have found this uh career path and job in particular that is mission driven and goal driven and in my mind helps people so um it's not a you know just a nine to five that i need to turn off at the end of the day it's actually something that i'm you know, passionate about and feel like i'm able to make a difference so it's a lot easier to you know put in that effort when uh you can you know, translate that directly to impacting people's lives yeah and you know man i think you mentioned earlier as far as your person your like acknowledging like the privilege of that you come from and i think that even myself i can acknowledge is acknowledge the privileges that i've had growing up as well but i still think that there is that cornerstone that you and i both have in common around having jobs that are mission oriented and aligning that with our why that allows us to be able to put in those long hours or dedicate that time and so like do you think or what's your perspective of like one making taking the risk and making that sacrifice to go towards what their why is as opposed to just doing something because um they have a a mission they need to complete goal-oriented versus mission-oriented, I guess, is the difference. Yeah, definitely. And I think you and I both have sort of lucked into a position where we're able to pursue both, right, our mission and our goals, our career goals, um, right, being something that you could probably achieve in any field, right? You could mm -hmm. go into consulting, you could go into research, you could go into medicine and, and pursue your goals to... Um, move up in the world and have an impact on as many people as possible but the mission is so important to me and so to give some background uh, to your listeners i when i first got to brown i was interested primarily in infectious disease and did a lot of work with uh, hiv including in global health particularly in africa um, and i through that work was able to connect with a professor i took his uh, infectious disease epidemiology class his name is Brandon Marshall and we were able to connect on that level and I actually was able to join his research team 
to complete my undergrad thesis and then continue that work into my master's. And he uh, had done some work in Vancouver aligned with uh, HIV, but in the context of injection drug use. And at that time we were in Rhode Island, which was really feeling the brunt of the overdose crisis. And he had uh, become a real subject matter expert, both in Rhode Island and in the world, right, in Canada and the U.S. and beyond, on substance use more generally and its impact on infectious disease. So I was able to develop my expertise in substance use in opioid use in particular, uh, alongside my research skills. And the connection between HIV and drug use has always been really compelling to me. They're both these uh, intersections of health and healthcare and race and politics, right? Whether the drug war or the way that HIV really wasn't spoken about at all in the 80s to now where it overwhelmingly affects uh, black men and women, uh, gay black men. So it just gave me an opportunity to look at these health issues through this broader societal lens and um, work with people who are made vulnerable by the structures that we put in place. So being able to orient my work around these ideas and uh, focus on something that's so timely, affects so many people, but also um, so complex in the way that it includes all of these different factors uh, helps me, uh, yeah, just really wake up and go to work every day and be excited about it because there's a, a mission behind it, right? It, for some people that I work with, you know, if you're a data analyst, for example, you might not care what the numbers represent, right? You could be in the oncology department, you could be in the substance use department, it doesn't really matter. But for me, there's so much more behind those numbers or uh, those words that really help yeah, drive the mission. Mm. Yeah, man, I, I think that what you just did there is lay out the sauce. So I, I want to repeat back what I heard you say. So like, initially, whenever you were talking about whenever you were in your early years at undergrad and in graduate school you had an intentionality around like what that passion was towards like infectious diseases so you knew that at a young age or just even you recognized at that age that this is something that i don't like and um this is something that i want to address and so you saw your passion towards it and so you sought towards mentors um that could teach you around learning it and to your point like the point of privilege is it's like yeah you were at brown and this particular individual was doing research not only on the subject um but also getting that firsthand data as well and like getting primary data is you know like something that's rare but not only getting the data but also presenting it and teaching so i think like from a mentor perspective it's like you had a rock star but a rock star can look like anything in any area, right? Like, even if you said, let's, for example, I want to be a mechanic. So whatever kind of passion that an individual can have towards cars or towards any kind of automotive vehicle, going to a space and finding a mentor that can do that and has that same type of drive to where you want to get to and learning how to, t uh, learning from that individual and like not just a, a mentor that shows you what they do, 
but also invests in sponsors into you. Like you mentioned, you got to join his team. And then from there, leveraging the skills that you got from your mentors to go towards whatever mission work you want to do, right? Like for the mechanic example to say, hey, now that I have these skill sets, I can open up my own shop and be an entrepreneur or I can work my way up in the corporate ladder as a technician or what have you. But you have those skill sets that you can begin to leverage and make those kind of choices within your life because you initially had that passion and you took that first step to fall into what you wanted to do. And I'm sure you had to take some sacrifices, right? Like going and having the opportunity and having that positive light to say, yeah, I wanted to learn from this individual. That means that that's taking away from whatever social component that you wanted to do or what other that other thing that it could have been and it could have been just sleep <laughs> and so now you have um taken those sacrifices and you see the benefits of it am i understanding that correctly yeah absolutely and i think it's so interesting that you said about mentorship because for me it points to the importance of having multiple mentors right i had a, a professor as a mentor who helped me develop my subject matter expertise and my research skills and understand how to navigate academia and write papers and submit papers and give presentations. Um, but at the end of the day, he took a very different career path than I ever imagined myself taking. And that's not where I saw myself. So I also have mentors like you, for example, right? It was a couple years ahead of me in the whole process, taking similar courses, but uh, having very different career goals. And I think most of our, our classmates and our professors, right? A lot of people end up in academia and medicine and research and you and I have this shared interest in hospital or healthcare administration so seeing someone pursuing that path really helped me mm. understand how I could be the same right you worked at the hospital association and gone to the large hospitals and healthcare systems being able to see that actually in action um was a whole uh, different experience and mentorship but just invaluable yeah, no, I, I, I totally understand. Like, you got to surround yourself with the right kind of team, right? Like, you can't, it's it's good to have a diverse group of friends, but it's also beneficial to see, like, have someone that has that same type of drive as you. It's like, you all might not necessarily be shooting for the same goal, but y'all all are going at the same pace. And it's that having the right pacers and then noticing like some people might be ahead of the game, right? And say, this pacer is up um, two minutes ahead of me or behind me, let me go and speed up so I can be up to them. And I think that that's a, a very good thing to, to acknowledge too, man. So like one question that I have is like, now that you, you kind of have the recipe down as far as what you need to do in balancing, but how do you still grow in your your bat work life balance? Because you know it's not necessarily one of those things that are fluid. Well, it's not stagnant. It's fluid in the sense of that there are all different kind of life circumstances that can come in any moment in time, right? And balancing in the good, and then also balancing in the not necessarily positive time, and like balancing the good and remembering to like celebrate those wins but then also 
being present when and being there when things aren't necessarily the best in your in your life and i'm curious from your perspective like how do you approach that balancing and like growing in that balancing sense yeah that's a good question i think there's a lot in there too the one piece to stick on the mentorship idea that now as i um continuing my career i have the opportunity to be a, a mentor rather than a mentee and it requires a lot of active thought in a way i never quite could have imagined right when i was an intern, I was always so frustrated. Why is there not enough work for me, right? Why am I sitting in this cubicle all summer <laughs> doing nothing? But being on the other side of that, it requires a lot of intentionality and effort to understand what's meaningful for that intern, for that mentee, whatever it is, right? So I try to take time to pause and reflect if it's you know, an employee, a, a mentee who I have a relationship with, what does this person need from me? How can I provide it to them? Um, and what, uh, I don't know the best way to say it is what, what, what can I do to make sure that their experience is as valuable as possible, right? And that might be something as simple as just blocking out 15 minutes of my day to think actively about that and not be distracted by other things, but uh, it really requires that effort yeah no i i totally agree like it's just like i <laughs> i was just thinking about um that because yesterday i took my every year um i take my interns out for dinner at the end of their internship and like you know sometimes i don't want to do it but having that intentionality because i remember reflecting on whenever i was an intern having that time to meet with my preceptor and um, just either if I had something to talk with them about or if I didn't, like it provided a lot of growth. And then also having a time to like celebrate where they took time out of their day to just recognize like, hey, you know, you did some good work and I really appreciate you. That's that meant a lot. And so I try to pass that along as well. And so it's it's, you know, I I, <laughs> I think it's funny because it's just like whenever it comes to like celebrating the wins and like balancing that act, it's it sounds like it comes from whenever you want to reflect upon whenever you were in that same position or what is it something that you would desire always being that person that you wish you had. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Right. I think you learn as much from the bad mentors as you do from the good ones, right? <laughs> Learning how not to treat people is just as valuable. But I can't agree uh, anymore about the importance of celebrating your wins. It's something that I always try to do. And I mentioned my girlfriend earlier. Her name's Rosh. And as you know, she uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer a few years ago. And uh, everything is uh, good now scans are clear, but she's really taught me the importance of celebrating every win, no matter how small it is. So whether that looks like a bottle of champagne or a fancy dinner, we make sure to do that at every opportunity possible. And, uh, so I definitely try to keep that uh, tenant in my personal life and then also how to carry over into work. Um, and positive feedback, of course, is so uh, 
crucial, right? Making people feel valued and interested in the work. But uh, I also want to make sure that I personally and my staff are not scared of or harping on mistakes, right? I want to give people the space to fail safely. Uh, that's the only way that they'll really grow, right? If you've ever had a boss who uh, chops your head off after mm-hmm. one mistake, it makes you very hesitant to take any risks or be transparent, and that's not the environment that is conducive to success. So right. giving people space to uh, be transparent, be accountable, and learn their, their lessons from a uh, mistake no matter how big or how small and move on from that and grow. I think it's so important. It's something that I yeah, definitely struggle with. It's just the type of personality that I have that I'll, if I make a mistake, and again, no matter how small or how big, I'll definitely stay on it for longer than I should. And I've always heard that a good quarterback, if they throw an incompletion or they throw an interception, they forget it immediately, right? You have to have short-term memory loss because you got to get right back out there and make the next pass. So, Something that I'm still learning on. I'm probably better at creating that environment for others than I am sticking to it myself. But uh, that's so important. Yeah. No, I I totally get that, man. It's like, you know, whenever I talk about or ask the question around balancing in the bad, like, I, I hear you say, like, there's two different types. Like, there's a mistake, right, where you, whether it was intentional in the sense of, you didn't follow a process or unintentional in the sense of it was just truly a misunderstanding it's not necessarily saying like oh man you suck at the first time this something happens but more so of being present and recognizing like hey i made this mistake but getting back on the horse if you will as a sort of speech to say i'm going to charge forward and say i'm going to um, do this again i think that that takes a level of confidence and a level of practice because making mistakes doesn't feel good, man. Um, you know, I, it's, it's that anxiety that comes from it, but, um, or angst, but fanning the fire, if you will, um, to the situation is if you harp on it or like make someone feel beneath themselves for any of those kind of things. And I think, you know, that's one way of looking at it as far as just the um, the bad kind of sense from a mistake. But those same principles kind of can be applied to the bads that aren't mistakes. So just life happening, right? As you mentioned beforehand, and thank you for sharing that as far as with Rosh, with um, her diagnosis, I think that you know, that's nothing that could have been controlled. And like, that's one of those circumstances that come with life. But as you mentioned, being present around what those, that those circumstances happen and learning to celebrate the wins, no matter how big or how small, but then also how to um, keep, not necessarily fighting, but keep moving forward in the sense of saying like, hey, Like, this is a a life situation that I'm facing, but I still need to make sure that I can, um, once again, get back on the horse and make, not necessarily the best out of the situation, but learn how to navigate this new terrain that I have entered so that 
I can grow from this just as if I was growing from a mistake. Yeah, that's such a beautiful way to put it. And something that I struggle with a lot, I think a lot of men do that I'm very solution focused. Um, and it, you know, if there's something bad in my life, I want to fix it. And sometimes you just got to sit with it, right? And sit with your feelings and uh, listen to yourself, listen to others. And that is so difficult for me. I bet so, man. So like, how, what, how has that growth process been for you learning how to like, not only sit in your feelings because, you know, that's a weird space, <laughs> right? Like who knew that as a human being, we would have all of these dang emotions and learning that there are things that not necessarily um, appropriate and inappropriate because these are our thoughts, but learning that um, how to manage one's emotions and how to recognize when one is um, feeling anxiety or feeling sad or feeling whatever and like how to um, know what box to put that in as soon as possible, but then also realizing how to unpack that box, whether it's through oneself or through the professional help with um, a counselor, therapist, what have you. Um, I think that um, that's a very interesting growth process. And I'm, I'm curious around how you went about it. Yeah, it's interesting because when I think back, I feel like I've always been relatively comfortable with myself. I just didn't really know what that meant, right? I didn't really know who I was or who I was was always changing. And now I've gotten to the point where I'm sure I'll, I'll continue to change as I grow older but for the most part I'm pretty much set with who I am right I um, no longer feel like I'm bouncing around geographically I'm in a long-term relationship I have a, uh, a career in place so have being able to yeah exactly that's a whole nother level of commitment but <laughs> being able to really understand what that means is be comfortable with myself helps so much right when I I'm anxious about something, I'm comfortable with something, I'm happy. I am way better at recognizing those patterns and also knowing how I as a person need to react to it. So I certainly have my own uh, coping skills, things as simple as going on a walk with dogs, playing some video games, watching basketball, um, or you know, getting into deeper conversations when necessary. So just seeing that growth in myself, even just in the last couple of years, um, it's been fun to witness, but yeah, really helpful in terms of emotional intelligence and relationships with others. Yeah. I wonder, do you think that the pandemic kind of like, you know, I'm always trying to look at what is the glass half full type of approach from it. So like, do you think the pandemic gave us the opportunity to kind of pressure cook that? Like we were for at least a solid year, you know, like <laughs> I can't say this past year because with quarantinings and all the different restrictions, like people have started doing whatever they want to do, but at least for a solid year, you know, we were in our homes. We were um, only being around those who were in our close immediate family. We were only going to work and going home and we had to find new approaches towards living life really. And, finding new ways to handle being to ourselves. So like, I'm, I'm curious around like 
you know, you say the past um, year or two, like, how do you feel like the pandemic um, supported some of that growth? Yeah, I think in my situation, that was definitely the case. Um, in probably mid-March 2020, we saw each other for <laughs> the last time pre-pandemic. <laughs> it was probably, probably during pandemic at that point, but hindsight is 2020. Uh, but then... <laughs> As things were just starting to shut down, I was living in New Jersey. My girlfriend was living in New York. I said, hey, let me swing by and pick you up because New York might be shutting down for a little while. And two years later, we're still living together. So in the course of this pandemic, we essentially moved in together, got a dog, um, got a, an apartment together here in Jersey City. It, it accelerated our timeline quite a bit. Before that, we were essentially long distance. Um, she was always in New Jersey, New York. I was in Providence and Boston, then um, at the Jersey Shore. So it was still a few hours on the train to get to here in New York. So uh, we've had to really quickly learn how to coexist in the same space uh, physically and also emotionally, right? And we are uh, fortunate enough now to have a couple of different rooms that we could go into if we need to, but it's uh, a lot more cramped than it is in a long-term relationship. So knowing how to respect each other's boundaries, know how to communicate with one another's certainly a work in progress, but it's been accelerated. Uh, yeah, hugely by the pandemic. Yeah, no, man. I, I think that that's very interesting and very funny because it's like you're, <laughs> you're like, hey, you know, New York seems like it's shutting down. Let me go ahead and scoop you up. We might, there's no telling how long this is going to last, but like, let's, let me just know. I have a, a feeling that I'm probably not going to get to see you a lot if this shuts down. <laughs> Cause I remember even coming to your, um, uh, your birthday, man, like because of the pandemic and stuff like that, like the train just took forever. <laughs> and, <laughs> And even like my airplane ride back, I was scared thinking that I wasn't even supposed to be on this plane because I was pretty much the only person on it. And I was like, I know I'm going to Seattle, right? Like, <laughs> this is kind of eerie. But yeah. I, think, I think that that's a beautiful thing, though, man. Like, um, you literally over this two-year span, and there's no telling how long it could have lasted if it wasn't for this pandemic. Um as far as the amount of growth that you and Rosh has been able to have in your relationship and like that to be such a forcing function as far as even in yourself and realizing that like, you know, you as a person is constantly evolving, but like you're remaining grounded from as far as who you are as an individual, because you still have the same mission. You still have the same priorities. Like, you still have the same like boundaries that you set, but it's like you've learned to respect things as you're growing. So I, I'm totally understanding all of this stuff, man. And I really appreciate you breaking it down like that for you. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting when you say about priorities shifting because we uh, got a dog a couple months into the pandemic, as many people did. <laughs> and you hear a lot of people say right when they have a kid that their priorities entirely shift and I'm sure dog is not at all close to that but I did feel that a little bit that you know my priorities began to shift there's this other life and 
um, in our house. I think now three lives that to some extent I'm responsible for. And yeah, certainly shifts my priorities away from work towards family and whatever else it is. But uh, yeah, it's so funny looking back at the beginning of the pandemic of literally how it went down. It's went to go pick her up. We just thought we were going to watch a couple episodes of Tiger King. And here we are watching Tiger King 2. <laughs> oh, man, that's that's beautiful. Well, I really appreciate you taking out the time today, man. And I, I know that you're a busy person. So I'm just going to go through these last lightning questions and I'll let you get back to your day. How does that sound? Sounds perfect. All right. What's your favorite relaxation or self-care activity? A big basketball fan. So I uh, love the Nets. Love them since they were the New Jersey Nets. Stuck with them when they moved to Brooklyn. So I, I try to watch as many games as I can. I actually, just for the first time, got NBA League Pass. Which, <laughs> uh, I think it's a subscription service that the league offers. So you can watch any game across the country. And you'll love this because we have a, a long history of watching obscure sports and obscure bo- broadcasts. But the streams actually don't cut to commercial. Instead, they show you the in-arena feed that you would see on the Jumbotron. So you get to watch the t-shirt toss. You get to watch <laughs> babies crawling across the court. It's awesome. <laughs> oh, man. I definitely need to come visit now. <laughs> oh, man. it's It, it can't – so I need – <laughs> before i go to this next one i was watching an obscure sport the other day um so australian r- women's rugby that is that's where it's at <laughs> talk about the most contact i've ever seen i oh <laughs> it's i don't know what's what's better that or ufc i don't know what's better <laughs> Dual screens. Dual screens. Um, what's your best book recommendation? You might know this about me that I'm much better at buying books than I am at actually reading them. Like, uh, <laughs> guilty pleasure of mine. So the next one up on my list is actually one called Undoing Drugs uh, by a journalist and writer named Maya Salavis. And it's about the history of harm reduction and addiction. I really respect a lot of her writing. Uh, she's written a, another book in the past that I really enjoyed. So looking forward to cracking that one open. All right. Sounds good. And one person you would like to thank for your journey thus far? I think it's got to be you. I you oh. know, spoke a little bit to this earlier about how meaningful it was to have you as a mentor, but also as a friend. I don't know if you remember this, but uh, I think we were in a biostat small group together and we were leaving and uh, taking the elevator downstairs to go out into the snowy Providence weather, and I think you looked down and said, "Hey, we're wearing the same snow boots." <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I still have those boots, man. <laughs> same here, <laughs> Tom Brady boots. <laughs> oh man, well, I really appreciate you being on the show, man, and I, I hope you have a great rest of your day. You too. Thanks so much for having me. This has been another episode of Don't Be Coy with Uncle Lou. As always, I'd like to thank this episode's guest for a great conversation, as well as thank you, the listener, for joining in. Whether you're a first-time listener or a regular, I always appreciate your support. If you liked today's episode and ever want to listen to more, 
subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And to join our community and access future bonus content, be sure to visit dbkpodcast.com.